Welcome to Book Pile Banter. This is Amberly with Sarah and Kim, and today we are doing another one of our book topics. And this time we are discussing the Big Five in publishing. And for those who are not familiar with who the Big Five are, which we were trying to guess this last episode, uh, well, let me get, ask you guys this. Do you guys remember who you thought was the Big Five? I remember bringing up Simon and Schuster at one point. Penguin Random House. Yep. Macmillan? Yep. There's two more. That is how numbers work. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> no. Harper Collins. Yeah. I kept forgetting. I think we mentioned that one last time. There's too. one more. Do you guys remember what the last one is, or is Kim looking it up? Kim's looking it up. Kim is completely <laughs> cheating. In Hatchet Book Group? Yeah. So those are the big what? five. Penguin Hatchet. Random House, Hatchet, Harper Collins, Nick Melman, and Simon and Schuster. So I'm gonna give you like some basic like facts about each of them that is about their establishment. I'm not gonna go into their entire history because oh my goodness, that would be very long and very boring. Um so I'm gonna start us off there. So our first one is Penguin Random House, which is owned by the German media conglomerate Bertelsmann. Random House was founded in 1927, and James Joyce's Ulysses is what transformed them into a formidable publishing company. And they actually used to be two split ones for the big six, because it used to be the big six, and it used to be Random House and Penguin. But Random House bought Penguin and they merged to become now one of the big five as opposed to one of the big six. So then we have Hatchet, which Hatchet Livery is the largest publishing company in France. And the earliest publisher under the Hatchet umbrella was actually their imprint, Little Brown and Company, that started in 1837. So Hatchet as a name isn't probably its is, is not its oldest version um but that's kind of like the umbrella company now then we have harper collins and their parent company is news corp the earliest publishing company under the name harper started in 1817 though they would go through many mergers and adjustments before coming the current iteration of harper collins another thing to keep in mind is that in 2011 harper collins was a primary component responsible for the 26 checkout limit that many libraries deal with when it comes to checking out books digitally requiring libraries to have to repurchase books after that 26 limit uh this was claimed to be due to comparable wear and tear to physical books however many times and i can attest this many times books will exceed 26 checkouts in a library like i've seen some that have been used 60 times before they get weeded out of the collection so then there is McMillican, McMillan, McMillan, no, Millen, McMillan. And this is a British publishing company that was founded in 1843 by Scottish brothers. And the pub two books that they are best known for are the Victorian books, Alice in Wonderland and the Jungle Book. And they are currently owned by the Holtzbrink Publishing Group. Finally, we have Simon & Schuster, who is currently owned by National Amusements. Uh, they were founded in New York in 1924 and came into being when Simon's aunt wondered if there were crossword puzzle books and the two founders decided to exploit the lack of them, they would become best known for their fad, and I'm putting that in air quotes, publishing, though they claimed it was planned publishing. Uh, so that kind of like fad of what should be published, they're responsible for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, then, as I had previously said, they were once considered the big six until Penguin and Random House merged. And they nearly became the big four, but the government actually blocked the merger of Simon & Schuster into Penguin Random House. Um, it was determined that if Penguin Random House bought Simon & Schuster, it'd be too close to a monopoly and wouldn't be allowed. So, those are the basic, like, founding facts, kind of like... You remember those facts and it'll impress people. 
this is now some statistics. So per wordsrated.com, the big five account for about 10 to 20% of titles published every year. However, when including self-publishing, that goes down to 2.5%. Is that -hmm. what you guys expected? Did you think it would be such a little amount of the books published? I do, yeah. Aren't you smart? (laughs) So, based on that, how much do you how much do you think they make up of U.S. revenue? I'm kind of curious. I'm gonna make you guys engage here a little bit. No idea. Like, if you could give a percentage, how much do you think they make each year out of those total books? Three percent. Sixty-four percent. Oh, oh, you were really close, Kim. I was. (laughs) They in 2021 they generated 12 billion in revenue, and that is excluding educational books. Including educational books, it brings them down to 40 percent. Hmm. So there you go. And then, who do you think is the biggest of the five? Probably Random House. I was going to say that one, too, because that's the one that I think of most easily. So, yes, the biggest publisher is Penguin Random House. They earn 39% of the Big Five's revenue, then followed by Hatchet. In five of the last seven years, Penguin's generated income was more than the other four combined together. Wow. Yeah. So they, they make more than the other four big publishers all together um which is why you think of them most often is they're <laughs> who's making the most so let's see here so now i was going to show you i'm going to tell you kind of some of their best sellers or what they're best known for it varied because i couldn't find like a convenient little list that told me with each one so starting with penguin random house currently their best sellers are considered becoming by michelle obama wonder by rj Palacio, Palacio, I may have said that wrong. And then, oh, the places you will go by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> so, I'm assuming you guys recognize those books. Oh, yes, at least one of them. Okay, which one? The places you will go by Dr. Seuss. Okay, I was, I was joking. Oh, okay. What about you, Sarah? You reckon? Have you read or recognized any of those? I may have read this Dr. Seuss one, but I recognize all three of them. But I have definitely not read Becoming or Wonder. Ah, okay. Wonder we actually did for our uh, Young Readers book club recently. Um, It's considered like one of the most popular middle grade books of all time. Um, And it is about a child who uh, is dealing with deformities going to public school for the first time at the age of like 10. So, then we have Hatchet, and four of their best-known books are Madame Bovary by Gustav Flaubert, On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, Twilight by Stephanie Mayer, and then The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Slanger. So what do you guys think of those ones? Salinger? Salinger, thank you. I'm, yeah. It's a rough day for me, and there's a lot of names on this list. <laughs> so what do you guys think of that? Any of those titles you recognize? What was the first one? Madame um, Bovary. Bovary. Madame Bouvier? B-O-V- B-O-V-A-R-Y? B-O-V-A-R-Y? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one, but uh, I think the others all sounded familiar. I mean, obviously, Catcher in the Rye and Twilight, and was there a third one in there? Uh, there was four of them. Let me see here. Twilight, Catcher in the Rye. Oh, uh, Origins of Species or Species oh, Origins. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that one also, obviously, I recognize. 
And as for the first one, is the story of Emma Bavari, a doctor's wife whose passions and romantic notions drive her to start an affair, accumulate debts, and entangle herself in lies, and in the end, commit suicide. Oh, yeah, that typically happens with adulterers. Yeah. Well, it's from 1856. I think it's French. It's it's Bouvier. Is it Bouvier? Okay. Wait a minute. Hold on. Sorry, I have headphones on. Bovary. Bovary. Okay. It doesn't have the right letters for Bouvier. I uh, know, but I think that's how most people think that it's, I don't know. That's just, yeah. It's a famous book. I know it. Yeah. Um, it's I've a famous French it. book. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like I know Bouvier. Or Bouvier I think I have like, read it. Yeah. Um, Because it's the French, like, it's one of the French realist books. Um, I don't think I read it for college, but I think I managed to, like, snag, like, one of those, like, cheap copies that penguin like sometimes does but this obviously wasn't penguin this was hatchet but you know the the paperbacks they do for the classic books um like the mass market paperback yeah yeah um where they have the, like the image at the top and then it's just got like a block of color at the bottom with the name of the book so then we have let's see here harper collins and these are their current bestsellers. This isn't bestsellers of all time. I couldn't find that. But we have The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. And then Yellowface by R.F. Kwong. You guys know any of those ones? Well, I recognize all three of them. Bookshelf right now. <laughs> None of the them I would time. read. <laughs> None of them. Really? I would have thought. No, I guess no. I would have thought you would have read "They Both Die" at the end. Why would I read a book that tells me what I don't want to read? Like in the title, you're like, "Oh, major character death." No thanks. Because it's gay, and you like books where characters die. I don't like books where characters (laughs) die. What the fuck? History says otherwise, Sarah. (laughs) And I would have thought you would have liked "Song of Achilles" because again, gay. Because again character death historical that's true i don't i know you won't negate the fact that it's character death (laughs) uh i know you won't read yellow face you said that kim have you read yellow face yet no no okay i don't don't have time to read other books i'm sorry i only have time to read what you guys assign me (laughs) okay so then we have mcmillan McMillan. You keep McMillan. Sorry. I know. I uh, my brain. It's a day. Yeah. It's a day. So for these ones, I just picked two that I knew you guys would recognize. Not necessarily bestsellers, because I don't want to get you guys' hopes up here on this second one. But the first one is Six of Crows. Mm -hmm. Which we have discussed, so I know you guys know. And then Murderbot Diaries. Under Tor. Under Tor, yes. Yeah. Is oh, an imprint like, of Mc- Tor. Yeah, Macmillan uh is the parent publisher of Tor. Tor is an imprint for them. Hmm, so interesting. Hold your mic just a little further away. Right here? Sorry, yeah. am I really loud? No, it's you're getting a lot of your breathy sounds in, in it. Oh, uh, okay. So then we have Simon and Schuster, and again, they didn't really have like a bestseller list that I could easily like just pluck from. <laughs> Um, and say this is their bestsellers of all time. So I just picked two that I thought you guys might semi-recognize. Uh, so the first one is It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and then Billy Summers by Stephen King. So they, they do a lot of Stephen King's books. Hmm. So that leads me now to what we're going to discuss. Uh, which is two different controversies that I could find. So, the first one is that one of the biggest topics currently surrounding the Big Five in, is the handling of ebooks in libraries. The Big Five have attempted to claim that allowing libraries to have unrestricted number of copies or those copies having unlimited checkout deters people from purchasing the books and is driving down the cost of the books. They have won the ability to limit checkouts to only 26 a copy, as previously stated. Uh, this is used by digital services like Cloud Library at libraries. It also requires that only a certain number of copies are available so that individuals have to wait for the book to be returned before they can check it out. So you can't have like 60 copies of something and just, you know, 
everyone can all check it out at the same time 26 times. They're only allowed a certain number of books, and each of those books has 26 checkouts. However, there are other services like Hoopla where there are unlimited number of copies, and instead the libraries have to pay for the number of digital checkouts a patron can use, with more spots costing more from the library. Uh, so for an example, one of the libraries I work at, they use Hoopla, so you can you don't have to wait for someone to return the book. However, you only get four downloads a month for digital books. And then there are a certain number of downloads allowed by the library per day to the point where we have to tell people that if they really desperately want an ebook or an audiobook, they want to be up at midnight to download the book. Because come opening hours at the library, very likely those spots have filled up. Another thing that libraries have, or the publishers um, attempted to do was to lay how soon digital books at libraries could be made available. In 2019, Macmillan tried to set an eight-week embargo where libraries could not get new titles until eight weeks after the book had been released because they believed it was imme believed it immediately being available at the library would reduce the number of purchases made digitally. A part of the struggle is also that readers believe that the cost of digital books should be lesser because it's not a physical item. Um, actually, let me know you, before I get into breaking down those, what do you guys think of the publishers putting these restrictions on libraries and accessibility? It's inevitable because they want to make a profit, so. Yeah, yeah but that's like the exact opposite of what a library is intended for. <laughs> Right, but it's not it's not about the library, it's about the publisher. So I know the publisher wants to make a profit. Um I mean the library's always had limited number of physical copies based on what their budget was on how many they could buy, you know, each book and they're gonna buy the ones they think are more of the ones they're gonna think are more popular and then sell them off later. I mean, it's the way the video companies did it back when you had to go check out your VHS. When, when they yeah, and you, there would be 30 of them on the shelf, and then you go back 10 weeks later, and there's two. Um, yeah. And it's not because they're checked out. It's because people stopped checking them out, so they got rid of them. Yeah, although we keep them for much longer than that, I will say. Well, I, was, I, I don't know how long I was being hyperbolic. But can, what do you guys think about the fact that it's only 26 checkouts? I mean, I feel like they should just treat it like a normal book. Like, the library can get it as soon as it could get a physical version of the book. And they could have one copy that can get checked out one at a time. Or they can have six copies that each one can get checked out one at a time. But I don't think it should be limited. Like, it doesn't wear out. It's a digital file. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is the publishing companies were arguing because it doesn't wear out. That they're losing profit from libraries. Because they're libraries not doing within... anything to they're not printing out new copies. Okay. Yeah. So they're not losing money. Like it, or, yeah, they're I guess they would be making money off of the physical them. ones because they print them and they get purchased, but they don't have to pay for those materials, paper and yeah. labor. Yeah. And, th and that's what a lot of libraries argue. Um, I will say working in that community, a lot of people feel like we got ripped off, particularly 26. Um, that's such a small number. Popular books will easily get anywhere from 50 to 100 checkouts before like it truly wears out. And that's with us mending them. Yeah, um, so you could mend physical copies, digital copies. It's like they're not wearing out and like it's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think the number 26 is insanely low. I think that is a ripoff for libraries. Um, I get saying that we have to buy like three ver copies of the book. Like totally fair. If we were getting a physical copy of it, we would have to buy a certain number of copies. And okay, fine. We have to place, people have to place digital holds until they get the book. But then after 26, we lose access to it and have to then actively repurchase it. So now I just want to know the history of libraries. I mean, where has this whole concept come from that um, books should be available for free for people to check out? Not I mean, I could do that right now. Give me the history. Of <laughs> no, no, no. I am too tired for the history of libraries. No, but today. I, I can make that a future book topic because we can talk about the history of libraries. But yeah, I mean, it, it, 
it's kind of this weird concept because we have this this free thing and i i was actually doing air quotes and i'm like no it's actually a free thing um except for you pay for it in your taxes and then your, yeah. your community has a library um but where does this concept come from why you know when was it decided that that people should have access to books for free I like the concept. I agree with the concept. I'm not trying to imply that it shouldn't be that way. I'm just curious about the history of it. So the the basic idea behind it is that back in the day, depending on how, like, obviously we know, you know, the Library of Alexandria, it goes a really, literally long time. But for the U.S., the modern iteration of libraries was under the notion that uh, people would go to school. So they go to university. Um, and not everyone was buying every new book that came out just because they were so expensive and you had to sometimes get them like specialized published. So you would go to school or you in your community would gather together books that you were willing to share with each other. And you would just cycle through it. So each year people would pull all their books together. Someone would be responsible for them. That's how you would write your papers, do your researches for your class and stuff. At the end of the year, everyone would take their books back. And then the next year, new books would come in. And so it was just a sharing system. And it was the same for communities. You would just pass along books, but eventually it would become like this kind of official capacity. They wanted to invest in a place, a, an ability to read them. And so then public libraries came together. Um, like I said, I can go into more detail at a different time. We can do definitely do a book topic on libraries at some point. Um, we don't have to do it now. But that's the basic premise is people wanted to share materials because they were scarce. Um, and now the notion is that we share the materials because not everybody has the same income accessibility to the materials. Because, um, man, books are expensive. I don't I don't know how often you I mean, I know how often I books lately buy books lately, but it's insane for the cost. Which is actually my next point. Did you guys have any other things you wanted to say about this controversy? Okay. I mean... Oh, okay. oh go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Sarah. I do think it's funny that they think people are going to not buy books. Like, if people like the book, they will probably buy it so that they can reread it rather than having to go through the trouble of requesting a copy from the library anyway. So this notion that Amberly is frozen... Oh, there she is. No, nope, okay. she's back. No, I'm serious. <laughs> This notion that it would hinder sales is kind of silly. It would also just make the book more accessible to more people who then, again, could buy their own copy if they really liked it. And that that is a counter argument that people do make is that they might actually be increasing sales, either because they see that it's so popular in their library that they decide they don't want to wait for it, that they then buy it. Because I have plenty of people who come in and they're like, oh, do you have this book? And I'm like, yeah, but we've got, you know, how many ever we got 30 people on hold for it. And they're like, oh, well, I'm doing it for my book club. I'll just go buy it. Like, they just like, nope, we've already picked it. So I'll just I'll go purchase it. And it doesn't face them. Um, or people read a book and they're not sure. And I've done that. I've had a couple of books where I'm like, oh, I don't know that I want to buy this. I borrow it from the library. I start reading it. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to take my time on this. I want to own a copy of this. And so then I return it and I go and buy a physical copy. Um, so there are plenty of people who do that or I'll buy a digital like ebook of it, but then I'll borrow the audiobook from the library. Um, so yeah, it, it really like the notion of it being, you know, deterring of sales, I think is kind of silly. <laughs> so anything else on that controversy topic? Nope. Okay. So something you had mentioned, Sarah, is that they don't, you know, they're not losing out. They don't have to spend the cost of actually publishing the book, right? Digital versus physical, which I was thinking about that too. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. How much does it actually cost to print a physical book versus a digital book? So the actual cost of printing is roughly $2.50 for a hardback and $1 for a trade paperback. I Jesus, the markup this. is insane. Yeah, I right? didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, the cost of materials is that small. Most of the cost of the book goes, to goes towards the elements of the publishing rather than the cost of the physical materials. So editors, you know, copywriters, marketing, 
all of that stuff is actually where the cost goes. Plus, you know, obviously paying the author. Drogo, you are like, moving my and computer. And the author? Does the author get yes, money? Yes, yes. <laughs> so the other thing to think about is think about the cost of a self-published book versus a published book. Sometimes self-published books cost less because there isn't as much editing going into it. There aren't as many hands that have to be paid for touching it. You know, we got cover illustrators, all that kind of jazz. But yeah, that's how much the physical materials cost. Most of the time, the cost is actually towards the creative property. So per David Dorico, and I apologize if I said that wrong, he's an author. Your typical hardcover book costs around $25. Something else to keep in mind is the retailer. So, for example, Barnes & Nobles or Borders typically pays the publisher about half the price. So the publisher gets $12.50. Assuming the book sells, otherwise uh, bookstores actually will send it back to, so they'll lose the profit on that. So of that cost, it's, so of the $12.50, it costs $2.50 to actually print the book. The author typically gets about 15% of royalties, which is $3.75. On a $25 book. On a $25 book. So that means that the publisher is getting $6.25, from which they have to pay their editors, proofreaders, cover designers, print layout people, CEOs, lawyers, advertising, and rent for big offices in New York, New York City. And whatever is left over is profit. So, to recap, basically, a hardcover nets publisher nets the publisher $6.25, or 25% of the cover uh, price. A trade paperback nets the publisher $4.46, which is roughly 34.3% of the net price. So, Paper books actually make them a decent amount of money more than hardcovers. Hmm. A mass market paperback, they get $2.61. So that's 32.6% of the price. So how much do you think the ebooks get them? Either in percentage or amount? I don't know. I don't even know how much ebooks sell for because I've never read okay. one. What about you, Kim? What do you think? I don't know how much. Um, I mean, they cost less, so I, I don't know. So an ebook's net profit for the publisher is six dollars and seventy three cents, which means they get a profit of fifty one point eight percent on an ebook. They would love them instead of. But know. that's the thing: is they don't want libraries to have ebooks. Because yeah. then people won't buy them. They would just keep borrowing them. So they wouldn't get that significant increase. Yeah. They make more money off of ebooks than they do out of printing off a physical book. Yeah, and it's not too surprising, I suppose. The same amount. Oh, you guys talked at the same time. Go ahead, Sarah. I think I said that makes sense, but I'm not okay. 100% sure. And what did you say, Kim? I said, uh, and yet I'm sure the author makes the same amount. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the author still gets 15%. That's the typical royalty amount is 15%. It's not that ebooks have a special royalty amount. The royalty is set by the publisher as a standard thing. So it doesn't matter how it sells. So that means once they then pay all of their people, they get more profit off of an ebook because basically they get to pocket. If they price it at the same, obviously they sometimes price it lower, but if they were to price it at the same as a hardcover book or even a paperback book, which is what's comparable, the price wise, a paperback book and an ebook are usually about the same price, anywhere from about 10 to $15. So that about dollar that they spend on materials is just profit for them. Pure profit. They're not paying yeah. it towards anyone in particular. So, it, and this is the big, this is the big five. This is talking about publishing through them. Obviously, um, when it comes to independent publishers and stuff, the prices change completely. I didn't pull up those numbers for comparison. Because um, how they handle and process and mark up the prices changes. 
Yeah, but what's interesting in all of this, because I uh, articles just came through my my feed just this week that mm-hmm. Random House just purged. So they offered all of their editors retirement packages. A bunch of the big ones, like like mm-hmm. big name editors, took the retirement package. Then when that was done and people had decided to stay, they then laid off a bunch of people because they're not making a profit, as they said. Um, and I did that in air quotes. They're not making yeah. the profit they want. And they said that it's because of, um, you know, the cost of production and supply and blah, 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 blah. The thing we just keep hearing over and over and over about everything these days, which in, in layman's terms translates to their CEOs aren't making the money they want to make. And so they're blaming um, everybody else. And then on top of that, they don't want to have to deal with unions. I mean, Simon and Schuster just recently was was striking because their union require agreement wasn't being met, um, and that's because they don't where they are positioned. So they're in New York. They don't want to have to pay these people the cost of living to be where they want to be for publishing. They think they have to be in New York City, which means they're paying real estate prices for New York City. And they don't want to pay their staff to have to live in New York City. But they want them to be in New York City on demand. Yeah, as I say, they're, they, they want them to work there. They just don't want to pay them that to, to live Yeah. There. So, and it really is, and, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, it's not necessarily that we're judging editors for wanting to have so much, so much money um, or not what editors, have you. Publishers. Editors publishers. employees of the publishing company. No, and that's what I'm saying is is we're not saying, oh, I can't believe they play they pay all of the people who handle the book. Um what's insane here is the amount of profit an ebook versus a hard book is, how little the profit is for the actual materials of it, and this cost. notion Yeah, the cost, sorry. Um and this notion that then these companies are turning around and saying they're not making as much money as they want to, so they need to get rid of people. But really, let's be realistic, they're probably just turning around so they can hire someone at a lower cost. Ultimately, yeah. To increase their profit. Yay, consumerism! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was our first big topic. Any other thoughts you guys wanted to add to that? Okay. The second big controversy is one we've already kind of talked about, but we haven't really addressed it in terms of specifically the big publishers, the five big. And that is diversity. (laughs) I know you guys are shocked, right? Sarah does not look shocked for anyone who cannot see her face. Okay. (laughs) So. In 2019, in a blog post, Lee and Low Books published their diversity baseline survey, which it was revealed that 76 of publishing is still white. 76% this, of publishing yes, is still sorry, white. Sorry, 76% of publishing is white, still white. This includes publishing staff, review journal staff, and literary agents. Now, to be noted, this survey was conducted in 2015, but they haven't seen significant change since then in terms of the percentage. The survey also showed that 74% of the people in publishing are cis women, but that about 38% of executives and board members are cis white men, with 81% being straight and 89% identified as non-disabled. I'm sure this does not surprise either of you. I mean, are you pausing for our shocked reactions? Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm like, yes, okay, this is... No, 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 expected. I was pausing to, like, let you guys process Dramatic the numbers, effect. let the readers process the numbers, give you a chance to, if you had a reaction at all. I just don't want to steamroll over you guys. So, that's what we're seeing. And and I will say, unfortunately, a lot of these numbers also reflect in libraries as well. Um. So... One of the, so I had mentioned the recent HarperCollins union strike, which one of their demands was for more attention on diversity among other issues. And 
For Penguin Random House specifically, its contributors, so authors, illustrators, and other creators from 2019 to 2021 was 74.8%, 86% white. What was that percentage? 74.80% white? 74.86% white. Oh, point eighty-six. Okay. Point, yeah, yeah. I thought you were yeah, changing your uh, percentage that, that there. Was like, that was no, like... sorry. My brain glitched. I'm trying to look at you guys, read the numbers, and make sure I don't So basically 75%. To... Yeah, about 75% of the creative contributions is still white by the big, for Penguin Random House. Um... It is then, let's see here. I said in October 20. Oh, that was from in October 2021 is what that statistic came from. Then finally, another thing to note is that time is not being spent to determine how to target marketing towards readers of color, which means that books are not properly marketed towards them, nor is equitable funding being used to engage their buying habits and interests. So they have to, they have, they're, they're not being told what books are out there. They have to find them on their own. Yeah. And, and the books that are being put out there are not necessarily what those readers want to read. They're not, they're not taking the time to be like, okay, let's figure out what, you know, the black community actually wants to read about. We're going to assume what they want and, oh, our white readers want it to be about slavery. So we're just going to keep publishing books about slavery. Um. Or, you know, the Chinese community wants this kind of representation, so this is what we're going to give them. Without actually going to that community and asking them what they want. And then in turn, they're not actually getting authors from that community. Most of the time, their specific authors are 75% white. I mean, I'm not surprised by any of this, but it's appalling, so right yeah and it's a vicious cycle because if they don't invest the time to research they're not going to bother to invest in it well you know never mind i was going to say something sarcastic no <laughs> say it's sarcastic no 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 it's like no no <laughs> i'll leave it alone but yeah, so I wanted to include that as a topic because we have, obviously we've discussed diversity, but I didn't pull these kinds of numbers as to what publishing is actually doing for, towards it. So, do you have any thoughts on that, Sarah? I know it doesn't surprise you. You do not look surprised whatsoever. No. I don't really have thoughts on these issues. I don't particularly engage in them. Um so I don't really have any deep or anything really important to say. I'm just, you know. Does it disappoint here. you at all? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I literally don't really feel like I have a reaction. Um, that's totally fair. And that's <laughs> what most people, most people don't have a reaction. Right? We, just we just like kind of be like. Resignation at this point. It's like. What could you you just you see it everywhere at this point that it's just like yep this that sounds about right yeah it's obviously not fair in the slightest and yet it's just it continues to pop up everywhere in every facet of life and that's yep. true and it i mean the other thing to keep in mind is these are you know the big publishers and then as i said simon and suster suster Schuster. 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 There you go. Simon and Schuster. Schuster. Very good. It was brave for you to do it again. <laughs> I was like, I got it. Just, just go. Just move on. Move on. <laughs> it's known for fad publishing. Oh, fad. I thought you said sad. Yeah. I was like, no, fad publishing. Yeah. So they're trying to dictate what is popular. And a lot of these publishing companies are trying to dictate what people want to read. Um, 
So but then I mean, you have. I mean, that exists in anything. That yes. Is Any consumable product. Yeah. Um. Oh, totally. Um. You then have the counterculture of self-publishing. But we sometimes consumers treat self-publishing as a lower tier, lower quality because it hasn't gone through the polishing that the publishing does. Publishing companies do. Yep. I mean, I've definitely read self-published books where it's like this was definitely self-published. <laughs> yeah. And, and but... do we, I mean, is self-publishing really indicative of what's popular or just of see my biases are going to show through um or is it just those that have enough passion about their own works that they're willing to do the work or the time publishing or the time yeah it's self-publishing is time and the means consuming and this day and age to do self-publishing requires a considerable amount of money because mm-hmm. if you're if you want your book to actually be picked up you've got to have a cover and it's got to be good cover art it can't be clip art off of off of the internet you've got to hire somebody to do that for you um and you're paying them considerable amount of money because if you wanted to actually reflect the book you've got to pay them to read your book and pick a scene out of your book to to be represented on the cover um and then you're looking at at uh, marketing, marketing. Mm-hmm. You're looking at at editing, and in this day and age, if you aren't doing multiple types of editing, you are setting yourself up for failure hard. Because yeah, sensitivity, uh, sensitivity readers. Oh my god, I cannot talk. Readers. Yeah, um, you know, if you're not if you're not paying several of them plus an editor to actually edit for grammatical I mean, or content. Yeah, that's that's that type of editing, and then there's content editing, which is going to yeah. be two different type of editors in a lot of cases. Yeah, no, it's self-publishing is not an easy endeavor, and so you're getting, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but you're getting some fanatical people who are self-publishing, um, or you have somebody like Andy Weir, who his mm-hmm. book, his original, so The Martian. Mm-hmm started as shorts online and yeah. he developed a following online and people are like, you need to publish this. And he could not get a publishing company to pick it up for nothing. And so finally he just self-published it. And then he got a publishing company because he was so popular online and because his, his published book was became so popular. And now he's renowned to be one of the best sci-fi writers of this generation. Um, yeah. But think so- about this, that first book, how much editing did the publishing company actually do, or did they get to make probably, profit? Probably off none. of yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably because I, I, none. Because I'm thinking about it. Because like Rebecca's book's been p- picked up for publishing by a publishing Rebecca company. Thorne. Yeah, Rebecca Thorne. Sorry. Um, and yeah, I'm like, how much? And I'm I'm going to be here very curious because obviously I have original copies of the book. I plan on buying a copy of it when it's published to support her because she's an author I adore. Um, And I'm curious to see how much of a change really happens there. She would be someone fun to have a conversation with this about because she knows about the different, because, because she used to be a published by the big five pub author. She then left that went into self-publishing then went into hybrid publishing, which is where I think she's sitting at now where she can do some stuff that is self-published, mm-hmm. some stuff that is contracted through the publishing company. Um, and then she also can talk about, because the component of all of this that we haven't discussed is international, because that's yeah. a whole other ball of wax is to take it yeah. outside of the United States if you're you know, a U.S. citizen. Um, then Which is what caused her... company in the foreign market also. Which is what caused her actually for her cozy fantasy to be picked up for local publishing is because she can't self-publish internationally. Um, and she had a, a group that was interested. And so they sent it. She con- got into hold of with a literary agent, kind of did a, a auctioning on it, um, got it set up for international publishing. And basically they went, why aren't you getting someone to publish this locally? 
on their end and she's like oh well i don't really have a literary agent anymore this isn't something that i was trying to do and they're like well here's this person she didn't love who they recommended to her and her lit- her international literary agent said okay i'll give it a try and then it went to auction and uh bramble picked it up which is a new imprint under um simon and schuster which is specifically picking up they are currently rating all of the self-publishing for cozy fantasies because it's popular so bramble is like their their self-publishing turning publishing imprint because she's not the only one yeah so and so it leads me to wonder when is if publishing is going to get to the point where publishers just start mining self-publishing for popular authors Oh, they already do. I know, but like, if they just stop trying to cultivate their own work and just solely rely on mining. I mean, are we gonna go, okay, was it Twilight that stole somebody else, or somebody else stole Twilight and became a major... Fifty Shades of Grey stole Twilight, I think. Twilight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and, and it is like this massive... And the Mortal Instruments is Harry Potter. Yeah, I mean... Wow, that's a really bad copy i i mean there is then uh although we adore her the love hypothesis is raylo fan fiction yeah but she wrote the first one yeah and then so it wasn't like just one author being inspired by another and writing that's true but, like, but look at what's his name who wrote aragon i mean that that was like yeah again that was fan fiction um yeah, I I don't know. I I'm I'm old school. I'm not the right person to discuss fan fiction. I I am going to be one of those people that says every single time that and and again, I write fan fiction. Wrote. I don't write it much anymore. Um <laughs> you know, it's I'm not judgy on it. I I've read some really good fan fiction that I'm like, god, this would be awesome published. But it's still fan fiction because it's not characters that these people created. Um, yeah and that's my big thing with fan fiction is very typically you're not creating unique characters um and i think that's the line that is drawn when it's fan fiction but there's a lot of people who self-publish non-fan fiction also and it's just because they can't get their book that they created from start to finish they can't get it through the the process they can't get anybody to pick it up yeah and, it, and then, uh, which I didn't look this up, but I would be curious to know, and it may be, again, this might be, we might look at self-publishing at some point, h- how much of self-publishing is white versus minority groups? Hmm. Because it could be then a self-feeding beast. Because in theory, I suspect, I suspect self-publishing is primarily white um, only because the people who are most likely to have the disposable income to mm-hmm. self-publish and get through the process and like become popular that way is based on statistics most likely going to be white and most likely going to be caught picked up by you know social media um is going to be stereotypically white now social media is starting things like tiktok are starting to kind of change what is getting pushed and how niche you can get into your niches. But yeah, it's, it's insane. (laughs) Was there anything else you guys wanted to discuss? Any other questions you guys had? No. Any of this like thoroughly shock you two? No. Okay. All right. Well, this was our book topic. Um, Our next book topic is two to be determined um because what we were originally going to do we have to delay doing that and i have not figured out an alternative for it because i'm just kind of playing a little bit of a waiting game um but maybe i'll do self-publishing um or maybe i'll change it up and find something else that way then we're not you know history of libraries or oh don't sound so excited sarah you suggest a book topic. What do you want to learn about books? About books? Mm, yeah. I don't really. There's mm, we nothing. Could what do you want to discuss? This, whole, this BS of 
um, 15 different books, the same book with 15, 15 editions with different yeah. bonus content. Yes. We could discuss Fuck that. that shit. <laughs> okay. I will look into what kind of stuff I can pull up and maybe we'll discuss the controversies of multiple copies, special editions, blah, blah, blah. Specifically special, special editions with different content. Yes. That's just bullshit. That's like fancy cool. covers, that's cool. And yeah, like special, like maybe that. jacket art. That's yeah. that's fine, but like different content. Yep. Okay, so that is. I will look into that. I will come up with some statistics. Oh my god, statistics, 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 statistics. and numbers. numbers. I'll pull the numbers, and we can discuss that. And I'll see if there's any history to it. Uh, I'm sure there is. There has to be some kind of history to it. It's just a matter of how well I can mine it. Um, but that won't be till later in August because our next, technically what would be our book topic is my birthday pick book. So. Alright. On that note, our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman. It's called The Battle of the Nile. Is it not loading? I don't know. I'm not loading. My brain's not loading. Oh, I, you looked like you were like looking at your screen to like pull something up. I couldn't get my fingers to go where I wanted to because I suddenly blanked. So let me try that again. Our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman and is called The Battle of the Nile from Epidemic Sound. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Book Pile Banter on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, or whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on any of our social media platforms, such as Instagram or TikTok. You can find us at book underscore pile underscore banter. You can also support us on bookshop.org. Our link is available via our social media. You can email us at bookpilebanter at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.